Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. We're going all CFL on this show, previewing the Blue Bombers and Stampeders. We've got Ed Tate from BlueBombers.com to preview the Winnipeg side of things. Mark Stephen, the voice of the Stamps, to preview the Calgary angle. That's all coming up on the podcast. Time to talk footballs. We are about 24 hours and uh, seven minutes away from kickoff as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers host the Calgary Stampeders at IG Field tomorrow night. And I'll preview the action is our friend Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com. Ed, before we get into the game, I have to ask, how was your bye week? <laughs> uh, I got away for a couple of days, Christian. I had to do a little bit of Valor stuff, and uh, we had a couple uh, other things with the Bombers planned, but it was... Uh, I guess uh, I don't need the mental or physical break as much as the players do, but it was nice to uh, uh, gear down a little bit. Let's put it that way. Well, they have three bye weeks now, and they have to wait you know, 10 games to, to get their first one. How different do you think it is having three compared to one as it was for so many years? Yeah, you know, I think it's a lot has changed, Christian, since I first started uh, covering the, the Bombers. Look, you go back to the 90s and they had padded practices all the time. So that's changed. Uh, you know, there was so much more contact back then in, in a regular practice. They didn't have as many bye weeks as they do now, as you pointed out. I just think a lot of this is uh, as teams get along here, it's it's a lot of more of it is science based almost. It's to to make sure that the players are are better protected. Uh, the league implemented the, the reducing the number of padded practices. So a lot has changed over the years in, in how a team just deals with the rigors of the regular season. So I think the three bye weeks is a good thing for all of those reasons. What's the mood that you've sensed at practice this week? Because they, they're coming off a, a tough loss, a game that they, you know, could have won if a kick didn't miss wide and they still, you know, didn't play a good game, almost got away with one against Montreal. They have the bye week. They come back from that. What's the mood around practice? Are they still thinking about that game or are they really just, it's on to Calgary? Yeah, that's a good question because it was something I was really keeping my eye on this week at practice, Christian, because you never know how a team comes back from a bye week. You know, are they, do they still look like they need more time? Are they refreshed, recharged, all those things? And, um, Boy, I'll tell you what, when when these guys got back to work, their first practice back on Monday was one of the better ones I've seen this year in terms of sharpness and crispness. And I think it was just uh, that's a byproduct of having six games jammed in the 32 days leading up to the bye. They look really good, really refreshed. Now, that doesn't stop bad things from happening with, uh, you know, Bolchenary and Grant and Greg Ellingson getting hurt uh, on the first day back. Um, but I'll tell you what, their focus was there. And we've heard an awful lot of that this this year, this sort of this notion of embracing the grind. And it was almost as if these guys uh, in, enjoyed getting back to practice. And it it made me wonder, because like a lot of us, when I come back from a holiday or a break, uh, those first few days back at the office aren't my <laughs> favorite days. So I don't know what's in it with these guys, but uh, they really did seem to be enjoying being back at work. On the note of those injuries, Ellingson going on the sixth game list, let's start with him. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Bombers just recently played three games without him before he came back against Montreal. So they're used to not having him in the lineup, but still, what ha, him going on the six-game list, how big a blow is that for this team? Yeah, it was. it's so weird. I was watching practice when it happened. He was just running a pass route. There was nobody around him. And then he just sort of pulled up and was was all of a sudden limping. And, it, you know, he's had an injury earlier in this year. I'm not sure if he re-aggravated the same thing. 
Uh, Coach O'Shea said today that it was putting them on the six game list protects them paperwork wise and salary cap wise and all that stuff. He wasn't sure if he's going to spend the full six games on the injured list, but it does impact the team because he's their second leading receiver to Dalton Shoney. He's such an important guy on second down because he's the guy that Zach Caleros goes to in those situations. So it's going to be a blow, but this is a receiving core that has missed some pieces this year. You know, Nick Dembski missed time. This is the second time for, for Greg Allingson, Carlton Agadosi came in and now he's gone for a bit. Brendan O'Leary Orange is gone for a, a while. So they've had to deal with this before. Um, that doesn't make it any easier, but uh, at least it's it's not foreign territory to these guys. Janarian Grant also had some time in the starting offense. He's now out as well. They're stellar kick punt returner. So the plan is to go with Jamal Parker returning kicks, Nick Taylor returning punts, Greg McCray. I'm sure we'll get some looks in there as well. Is that a spot where you're concerned? Do you think the Bombers can fill Grant's shoes? Well, that's a good question. You know, Janarian Grant, in my mind, might be the best kick return in the league. So that's a tough, tough thing to, to try to fill. And you're right. He brings so much to this team, even more so than before, because of the wrinkles he gives to them on offense with that speed. Uh, and so now they've got to split his kick return duties with Jamal Parker handling the kickoffs and, and Nick Taylor going to be the punt returner. It's a tall order to replace a guy that's that dynamic. And I think both those guys said today after the walkthrough practice that first and foremost, it's just secure the ball and, and try to make sure you've set your, your offense up for good field position. So that's the most important thing for any kick returner, but it, it also means maybe, that we shouldn't be expecting those uh, dynamic returns that, that Grant has offered up already this year with two taken to the house for touchdowns. Well, I remember last year when Grant got hurt, it was Charles Nelson that came in, and it really wasn't a factor. The return game was almost it's, nothing for the Bulls. You're right. You're absolutely right. It just goes to show you, you know, it's funny because we always talk about the amount of touches that a running back gets or, you know, the leading receivers. And if you go back and you look, the guys like Janarian Grant that return both punts and kickoffs in this league a lot of times have more touches than a running back or a receiver just because of the way the game's built with the three downs and all the scoring and returning kickoffs where in the nfl those are put through the the uprights at the back of the end zone so those guys can be really busy and, and a lot of times they're the contributions are overlooked uh and i, th- I think it's going to be tough for the bombers to replace grant let's just hope he's not out for too long he's only put on the one game injured by the way there's something about the Stampeders where Zach Kalar seems to bring his best to the games against Calgary, whether it was his entrance to the Winnipeg fans when he made that incredible escape and the touchdown pass his first game against the Stamps back in 2019, and then to the two games this year where he's been absolutely awesome in the two victories. What do you think it is about Zach that he brings his best, not just against Calgary, you look at the BC game, uh, he brings his best against the best teams. That's a really good point. You know, you make a good point about his first game as a bomber, and everybody remembers that twisting, turning touchdown throw to Darvin Adams at the back of the end zone. Then they go in. Remember that year, too, they went in and beat Calgary in Calgary in the West semifinal, and they never went in Calgary up until that point. Um, it's, It's a good point. You know, I always think of Dave Ritchie in these moments, the old bomber coach, because his favorite expression was big time players make big time plays in big time games. And that just seems to fit. Zach Caleros, doesn't it? I mean, you know, his overall, his numbers with Winnipeg are are really solid, but we're talking about a guy that's got two great cup rings, 
was the most outstanding player in, in the Grey Cup last year, most outstanding player in the league last year. So there's something about the bigger the stage uh, he stands up. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, those two games against Calgary this year, his numbers have been outstanding, over 70, 70% completion, almost 600 yards passing, no interceptions. Uh, and that game in Calgary in particular, you know, he threw a couple touchdowns to both uh, Dalton Schoen and Nick Dembski. That was uh, Zach Caleros at his best. Now, the f- game in Winnipeg earlier this season, you could argue that if it wasn't for some drops, the Calgary Stampeders would have won that football game. Bo Levi Mitchell, though, is not starting tomorrow night. It's Jake Mayer. Mitchell's healthy. He's just not very good right now. How stunned were you that it's Mayer instead of Mitchell? Well, I guess I wouldn't say I was stunned by the news because, you know, last week in Toronto, when Bo got yanked, this is the conversation immediately starts right away, right? It was a quarterback controversy in Calgary. And then as the week went on, uh, the the stamps weren't making it clear who was going to start. So if you're going to stick with your veteran guy, you probably announce that right away. So I don't think the, the, the quarterback switch has surprised anybody. But just given Bo's body of work in his career, you know, two great cups, two-time most outstanding player, uh, I guess it's a little bit surprising that he wouldn't have more leash. But you know, it, it says something. I don't want to say that the, the Stampeders are desperate because they're 6-3, and three, but clearly Dave Dickinson, who played the position, uh, wants to make a change and see something or that maybe we don't see about what might be left on the table uh, offensively with the Stamps so far this year. This game tomorrow night for the Stampeders, does it matter more to them than the Bombers? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it seems like Winnipeg's 9-1 and one and, and BC now with Nathan Rourke out there comfortably in second. But I think that the, it's a good question because maybe the Stamps figure now with Nathan Rourke out for a bit, they could take a run at catching BC and and then maybe host the a playoff game. So, um, it's a good question. You know, we're only at the halfway point. Um, they're going to have their annual back-to-back with Edmonton uh, around Labor Day. So, you know, they, they probably think that that's a possible couple of wins based on the way Edmonton's been playing. That's uh, a good question, Christian. I, I don't know if one if it matters more to one or the other. I know the Bombers want to shake off the, the loss against Montreal and get to 10-1 and one and kind of maybe separate further from the, from the West Division pack here. But um, you know, given where the stamps are and then the quarterback change, that might make you think that they're a little bit more desperate than, than what's going on here in Winnipeg with so much stability in the lineup. I know the Bombers will probably want to move past the Montreal game, but let's dwell on it for just a moment before I let you mm-hmm. go. A couple of things. We'll start with the offensive line. Zach Kolaris was just hammered in that football game. Uh, really the two games against Montreal, they blitz a lot, but the, he got hit quite a bit. How much do you think that the bye week helps the offensive line who are flanked by two older players in Stanley Bryan and Jamarcus Hardrick? Well, I think those guys are in the trenches, right? They always take a pounding, so it's bound to help. But it's interesting, Christian, because that question came up today to Zach Caleros and his availability, and he took a lot of the blame himself for some of those sacks in terms of uh, hanging on to the ball too long or trying to look downfield where there might have been some underneath, underneath stuff for him to dump the ball off to receivers instead of taking the, those extra hits. So I think he's got, like every good quarterback, he's got that internal time clock and maybe given the chance to look at the film again, 
thought that maybe he should have got rid of the ball earlier. And so he was taking the blame for, you know, a few of those sacks. So uh, it's a real, it's something that I'm going to keep an eye on tomorrow too, because you, you bring up a value, a very valid point about the, the offensive line and the two games against Montreal, let's credit Noel Thorpe and the defensive coordinator in Montreal and what they did schematically because they gave Winnipeg a lot of trouble uh, up front in those two games. And Winnipeg also lost a turnover battle in those two games, which is really rare for this team over the last couple of years. Well, that strip sack in the fourth quarter, I mean, I thought Winnipeg was marching to to put the game away when that happened. And then all of a sudden that gives Montreal life. So that could be on Kolaris thinking I should have not held the ball on that long and they would have got rid of it and maybe they win the game there. But the other part of it is the kicking. Mark Leggio, we remember, he just absolutely shanked the chance to win the game. Even if he kicks it as hard as he can, it goes through the end zone. They get a single point for the win and then he hits the upright in overtime. Any sense of any lingering after effect from that, watching him kick at practice this week? Or is it just a matter of when we get to the situation in the game, that's when we're going to know? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, um, he had a good week of practice for what that's worth, but you, you're right. It, it, it will all be about when he lines up to, to try his first field goal tomorrow night against Calgary. And if it bangs through the uprights, then, then you know, maybe people forget about what happened in Montreal against Montreal. You know, he had been 90% before that game. So, you know, I think what happens when you're, you're a young guy and you've had your struggles and then you get on a roll and you have some struggles, it almost becomes, and I've used this line before, it's almost like every kick becomes a referendum on his career, right? It's a, If he makes it, he's, he's good. And if he doesn't make it, they, they better have, you know, five kickers on the next plane into Winnipeg. So uh, I think it was important for him that Coach O'Shea said early in the week and even after the game, against Montreal that he's the guy and he's young and we're going to stick with him. That had to mean an awful lot to him. And I think he spoke about it earlier in the week. He spent his bye week out here grinding and trying to get better. But ultimately, like you said, Christian, it, it will all come down to whether he makes his kicks tomorrow night and going forward. And what does it say about him that he not only talked to the media after that game, but to start off this week too? I think it says an awful lot because, you know, we've been all, both of us have been around dressing rooms, hockey dressing rooms, you know, football, baseball, whatever it is. And a lot of times after a game, there's, you know, I can think of off the top of my head of a lot of examples where a guy that's had a rough night or uh, is cranky, doesn't want to speak to the media. So it says something that a guy steps forward after missing a kick in regulation that uh, should have been made and then clanging one off the uh, upright in overtime that, you know, could have been made, uh, agrees to face the music right away. And, and that probably endears himself to anybody in the, in the dressing room and the coaching staff and says a little bit about his uh, mental toughness too. Ed, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. Enjoy the game tomorrow. And we'll uh, hear you on the pregame coverage. Right on Christian. See you tomorrow. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me on. 23 hours from now, things will be kicking off at IG field. Of course, Derek Taylor and Doug Brown have the call on CGOB, but the call for the Stampeders radio network will be done by Mark Steven, who joins us now. He's here in Winnipeg to cover the event. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Good. Uh, hope it's as good as the prior two games involving these two teams. Those were spectacular, so hopefully we get more of that. When you're a play-by-play voice, and you've got obviously your focus is on the Stamps, but when you get a game like that, is that just all you can ask for as a broadcaster? 
Oh, I would say so. I mean, the two very good teams playing right at the top of their game with lots of drama. I mean, add up the two games, how many lead changes were there and big plays like that. So, no, it was, it was spectacular. And uh, I even said to our color man, uh, Greg Peterson, with a couple of minutes remaining in the game, I said, this is sensational. I said, if we had no rooting interest in this, we were sitting uh, somewhere in northern Ontario, we'd still be thrilled and wouldn't be moving anywhere because it was such, those were both such good games. So I, I just had a feeling that we were, uh, amazingly well entertained with both of those games. You've had a pretty good season too, because that game against BC a couple of weeks ago, that might be the game of the season. That was wild. What was that experience like? I know Calgary kind of blew it in the end. They actually lose the game, yeah. but what was that like? Well, first we did see, uh, you know, Nathan Rourke right at the top of his game. He was amazing the way he took over the game, especially in the fourth quarter, and his pinpoint passing was just off the charts. I mean, some of those uh, throws that he made, there was no room to complete them, and he completed them. So it was very exciting to watch as a game. I mean, yes, it was very disappointing to watch the game get away from a Stampeder viewpoint, but uh, it was a sensational game, and, you know, uh, it's not too often you score 40 and lose, right? It's been a long time since that happened and uh, the Stampeders did it so uh, they bounced back in Toronto and now we'll see what they do here against the Blue Bombers so when Jake Mayer comes in last Saturday in Toronto it leads him to a victory you know he completes a lot of passes they don't get into the end zone throws that pick at the end of the game that may have turned things around if the defense didn't do its job did you think that he'd be starting tomorrow night uh, probably not. I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, you know, it's been four. It wasn't just a bad game for Bo Levi Mitchell and the offense in Toronto. It's been about four and a half games where it just hasn't gone very well. I mean, two touchdown passes the last four games. Uh, the passing totals are pretty pedestrian or poor, depending on your viewpoint. And uh, so, uh, you know, they just was getting away on them. They just weren't uh, producing. I mean, you know, they've only got 18 offensive touchdowns this year in the games they play. It's not the worst in the league, but it's not great either. So, you know, there was just a malaise about the offense, and uh, this is the direction they're going to go. So, Mayor gets in. Mitchell posts online that he's disappointed, frustrated with the decision, but he understands it. And, he'll, you know, he says all the right things. He'll be motivated to get back on the field. Do you think the leash is short for Mayer? Like if he struggles in the first half tomorrow night, we'll see maybe Mitchell in the second half? No, I don't think so. Well, it's not to say we won't see Bo Levi Mitchell, but I think uh, Jake Mayer is going to get an awful long opportunity to prove himself and do it because, you know, Dave Dickinson does it, never has operated, and he didn't like it when it was done to him as a player of the coaching, uh, you know, fraternity, dragging quarterbacks on and off the field every so often. You know, they like to establish the quarterback, let him get into the rhythm of the game and see what he can do. It's not their style, so I would say not likely. It would have to be quite a meltdown by Jake Mayer for him to – leave the field or the game is completely out of hand. One of the two scenarios there. So with Mayer in there, what does he bring that is different than Mitchell? Is it limited to his legs or does he offer something with his arm too that Bo can't do? Well, two things. You're right about the uh, desire and ability to run. He's uh, better than Bo Levi Mitchell. One thing, though, Bo Levi does do is he moves in the pocket. He just, you know, shuffles a few feet here, a couple steps there. That's one of the reasons, not the only reason, why the Stampeders have given up so few sacks this year. But he can and will run uh, Jake Mayer. That's one thing he does. I would say he has a lot more confidence right now than, than Bo Levi Mitchell because right now him and the receivers, that's one of the issues. They haven't entirely been on the same page either. So that's 
that's been a bit of an issue. So maybe Jake Mayer can reestablish that confidence that seems to have gone out of both parties and uh, get the offense going to the level I know it can be at. How much does it help that Kadeem carries back in the backfield? Huge. He's the lead horse for this team. I mean, you know, he's taken over in charge, and he has such a great upbeat attitude and enthusiasm about him, and he's an amazing, strong runner as well. So I think that makes a huge difference, and that's one thing going in Jake Mayer's favor, that he'll be able to hand the ball off to him because certainly he's a guy that uh, can stir things up in a hurry. Well, he has 200 rushing yards in two games against the Bombers, so I think that's going to be one of the best ways they can move the ball in Winnipeg and keep the offense off the field, don't you think? No question, yeah, and it certainly is a big asset to have a guy like that who's fearless and reckless out there, and just, as you say, can rack up some great yards. He's put up some big numbers this season, and, uh, you know, he'll hopefully do it to, to give Jake Mayer a bit of a hand in tomorrow's game there. With Mayer in the backfield throwing the ball, does that mean that the receivers are going to finally stop dropping passes, or, or what's the deal with all the drops? Well, they better is all I can say is it's, I mean, you know, it's easy to point fingers at Bo Levi Mitchell, but the receivers have been far too inconsistent. Uh, you know, veterans like uh, Kamar Jordan and uh, uh, Reggie Begleton have been good, but far from where they can be. Hopefully they can get unleashed the starting tomorrow. They do have a couple of speedsters on the outside guys that have uh, caught some big passes this year, Malik Henry and also Sean Bain. So maybe those guys will help and, uh, you know, give, Jake Mayer some additional targets to throw to because as I say the receiving core has been a little on the erratic side this year and maybe this will be the combo that works. Zach Kolaris has been outstanding at, against the Stampeders really since he came over to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mm-hmm. I think he saved his best performances for the Stampeders including this season where he's just been absolutely dynamite. He had two touchdowns in the first meeting, four touchdowns in the second meeting, great uh, accuracy almost uh, 700 or 600 total yards between the two games. What does Calgary need to do to slow down Zach Kolaris tomorrow night? Well, first of all, he's been really good against a lot of teams, too. I should point out that he's a fabulous player. You know, they have to have the four-man pressure. That's one thing that works well for the Stampeders. They've had some success with that this year. Just have to keep pushing ahead because they do have a very good front four, but, uh, you know, they're facing a, a top quarterback in the CFL and see if they can rattle him, get him off his spots, stop him from extending the plays. I think that's what he did in game number two involving these two teams. He really extended plays and bought a lot of time so find a way to keep him corralled and contained in the pocket because there's no question he has put up some big games against Calgary but other teams as well he's just a good player all around absolutely and so we look at this game tomorrow night for the Calgary Stampeders at six and three in the standings they're lose this game do they start to worry about sliding into that crossover spot well, possibly. I guess we'll have to wait and see. The one thing they do have is a couple of games against BC coming up in in September. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, they're right now they're a team that's uh, not been able to beat the big guys, BC and Winnipeg. They're 0 three against them. They're six and zero against the rest of the league. But you're right. You start adding up a few of those losses, and six and four is not a great spot to be in. But uh, you know, still a ways to go. But uh, yeah, that would put them right in Saskatchewan's range as well, depending what Saskatchewan does. Is there any pressure on Jake Mayer tomorrow? You know, he's the backup quarterback. Bo Levi Mitchell's been the guy in Calgary for almost a decade now. Is there any pressure on him, or can he just go out and have have a good time tomorrow night? 
Oh, there's pressure on him for the reasons you meant. I mean, this team still thinks it can be, uh, you know, right up there with the big guys in the league. Are they? I don't know, but uh, they think they can be, and they expect to be there. The standards are very high. They are going to be pushing. So, yeah, there is pressure on them because, as you say, they don't want to slide back in the pack. They're already looking up at two teams, and I know BC suffered a catastrophic injury there, but I still think they're a good team. Their receiving core is as good as anybody's. The defense badly underrated so while i think the second half will be a challenge for bc i don't think they're going to fall into the abyss i think they're still a pretty good team so the stampeders can't afford to fall any further behind winnipeg and most importantly any further behind bc i'm curious to get your thought on what do you think the biggest weakness of the winnipeg blue bombers is um i'm not a fan of the kicker or kicking I guess I'd have to say that would be my uh, one thing. That's where where I would look at it. And could that make a difference? Yes, it could down the stretch. I know I'm not basing it strictly on what happened in the Montreal game, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure he's up to the standards that Arenny Paredes has set. He was 31 of 34 this year. So that's the one area I wonder a little bit about. Uh, are they good enough in that area? But I guess, I guess time will tell and uh, see what happens later on in the season here. Well, he's been pretty accurate, Mark Leggio has been. It's just the problem of yep. the, missing. It's when he missed those kicks last week yep. that, that obviously yep. set it off. This market was blessed with Justin Medlock, and Calgary's going to learn once Rene Paradez retires what it's going to be like after him because those are oh, yeah. going to be some really hard shoes to fill. Mark, appreciate your time. As always, thanks for this, and uh, have a great call tomorrow night. Well, we look forward to it. Uh, you know, hopefully the environment is as good as it was last month here. It was just a sensational environment. So let's see what happens at uh, the stadium tomorrow. And thanks for the call. Absolutely. Mark Stephen, voice of the Stampeders, QR77, Global News Radio in Calgary, I guess, CHQR770 now. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but